welcome to another VMC Unplugged podcast. I'm Bill Roth, Director of Cloud Economics. And uh, with me, as always, is my esteemed colleague, Jeremiah McGee. Jeremiah, welcome. Thank you, Bill. How are you? Hey, life is good. Uh, happy New Year. Gong Shafatsai. Happy Nauru's, whatever applies. All the things. Indeed. So today on VMC uh, Unplugged, we're going to talk about data center extension. It's one of the most useful uh, scenarios for VMC. And, um, but I think we want to put some definition around it. Jeremiah, how do you, how do you define data center extension and talk about some of the key scenarios? Yeah, so data center extension is sort of that situation where you maybe you're not necessarily evacuating your data center, uh, but you need to extend it for some reason. So this could be maybe to get applications closer to a group of uh, employees, maybe in another region. So let's say you're a US-based company and you have some folks out in Germany. Uh, you could take advantage of our new Stockholm region that just uh, was announced and, and extend your data center out to Stockholm and drop some applications out there so you're closer from a geographical perspective. Um, some other things might be to uh, have burst capacity. So maybe you're in the retail industry or maybe you're doing a lot of things with some custom applications and you truly want to burst to the cloud. Well, instead of acquiring the hardware and, you know, maybe it's temporary, maybe it's seasonal, we could just simply uh, turn on an SDDC or deploy an SDDC out in some region, whether it's close to you or somewhere around the world, and uh, spin out some new app servers or some web servers to handle a load for, let's say, your online store for the holiday season. Um, or just strictly test dev, right? Because, you know, we all test in production or, well, we probably shouldn't be testing in production, but I know a lot of us do. And, and so if we don't have that uh, data center space for... Um, the hardware or the storage or the network gear, we could just simply deploy an SDDC, uh, extend that data center out, and now we have you know a test dev QA lab where we can test patches and software updates and new software and different things, and then roll them into production. You know from that point. So that's that's how I kind of define that data center extension. You still have your data center on premises, and we're just simply reaching out and utilizing the power of the cloud to uh, extend what we already have in place. Got it. So <clears throat> it's obviously an interesting and kind of the, almost the perfect use case uh, for the cloud and probably one of the most uh, practical. What are the typical challenges when customers want to extend their on-prem environment to the cloud? What kind of troubles do they run into? Yeah, so if we kind of take that question, that's a kind of a general question that customers ask all the time, and it's not necessarily related, related to VMware Cloud and AWS, but more so, hey, you know, my manager, director, VP, whoever is saying we need to have a cloud initiative, maybe it's a cloud first initiative, um, but in general, we need to extend to the cloud, and, and what does that look like? I'm, I'm scared, right? And so, uh, in, in that case, they may be talking about cloud native um, in the sense of where we're, we're going to AWS natively or Azure natively, um, and, and so then a lot of things pop up, right? So it's, uh, you know, do we have to re-architect or refactor our applications? You know, do we have different virtual machine formats? Um, how do we convert things if we move them to the cloud? And then what if we want to move them back on premises? How do we, how do we convert those things? Um, 
do we have, you know, compatible skill sets and tools and processes? So our infrastructure and operations teams have to learn new skills. They have to learn, you know, the interworkings of AWS or Azure. Um, you know, how do we manage this? So we have these different, wildly different uh, infrastructures and we have all of these management tools and all of these processes on premises and we're used to doing this in a certain way and now we have to extend this capability and how do we do that? Um, so there's a lot of questions that pop up there and, and one of the things that we talk about with VMware Cloud and AWS is, hey, it's easy. You know why? Because it's vSphere. We don't have to worry about re-architecting applications or retooling or changing our processes. Maybe things need to tweak a little bit, you know, from a process perspective or a um, tool perspective. Maybe we have to extend the capabilities of those tools, but in general, at the end of the day, it's vSphere. And so we can manage it the exact same way as we would on-premises. And so we kind of talk about what those, what those are and, and you know, do you have a need for native or are you just looking to get that cloud functionality for that scalability, that burstability, that flexibility, and does VMC suit those needs? Well, that's a great transition to my next question because you've sort of framed kind of the questions that we ask in order to kind of truly understand the customer's point of view. Um, what are the specifics as to how uh, VMware and, and VMC kind of solve these problems? And how, how do you respond when someone has answered, uh, you know, kind of the initial questions? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> the way we respond to this is just that, like I had stated before, that we are, you know, using VMware vSphere, we're using VCF in the cloud, right? So we have, you know, ESXi and vCenter and vSAN and NSXT and site recovery for your disaster recovery as a service. And we have all of these tools that we kind of, you know, build off of and bake in. And, and so now we're simply just, you know, taking your, what you're using on premises uh, and extending it to the cloud. And by the way, you don't have to be using some of those tools. Like you don't have to be using NSX or site recovery or anything on premises, but certainly you can take advantage of those things when moving to the cloud. And so it really becomes a conversation of, you know, why would I go native and why would I go with VMC? And, and there are certain reasons that you might do both um, or one or the other. And generally what we're seeing our customers say is, well, this is really compelling. Um, we, can, we can now move our workloads or, you know, add new workloads into the cloud, take advantage of all of our, our normal processes, um, we don't have to re-educate our staff and send them off to training and, and have them relearn all the stuff or, or acquire new staff in order to manage this cloud. And so that's the first hurdle that you're getting over is, is really it's like that the, the people and process situation. And then once you understand what that looks like, then you can, you can move on to some of the other challenges we have. So, you know, we, we talk about the education and the skills and the tool sets um, and the whole process oriented, but then, you know, you can take that a step further. And then some of the other challenges folks have as well, how do I, you know, ensure data integrity? How do I ensure my SLAs? How do I um, have backups and disaster recovery? And, and so we start down that path. So these are all the challenges. These are all the questions that customers have. And certainly, you know, we have partnered with all of the major backup vendors. And so we can make sure that, 
you know, you're getting good backups and we can make sure that we help you figure out, okay, what are my SLAs and, and what do I need? Do I need um, a stretched cluster in case of an availability zone failure or should I do disaster recovery in case of a region failure? And, and so we can start to sort of draw this or architect this out, this solution out for them. So we kind of take the big piece and that is, you know, the big question mark of the cloud and we kind of, we fix that with our own product. And then we go in and we start layering on all of these other things to help them with those challenges. Got it. And so I think we've got some sort of tools because VMware provides kind of a consistent infrastructure. Actually, we do kind of provide a set of tools that essentially makes the, um, the sort of hybrid notation kind of fall away, right? Um, I think a lot of this is done you know, through vCenter, is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. So, and actually even taking a step before that. So, so yeah, you can use vCenter for, for everything. And uh, that would be your normal day-to-day -day operations perspective. So your, your VI admins, your vSphere admins, they're going to log into vCenter and they're going to manage it just like they would their on-premises vCenter. But we have other things in place too. So for example, uh, VMware Cloud and AWS uses NSXT. Well, you don't have to log into NSX Manager. We build all of the functionality that you need to manage that environment right into the cloud console. So when you log into the service, you're automatically dropped into the cloud console. From there, you can manage your uh, firewall rules, you can manage your VPN, you can manage distributed firewalling, you can, distrib you can manage all of those different things right from the cloud console. So we're actually making it a little bit easier where you don't have to log into NSX manager. You don't have to be an NSX guru. Um, you can offload those tasks to your network admins, of course, and, you know, even using role-based access control, you know, sort of force them. So when they log in, they only see that and nothing else, but, but now the vSphere admin can log in and they can add firewall rules. They can request public IPs and do natting for uh, internal virtual machines, and they can do a number of different things just from that cloud console. So, <clears throat> One of, so we're doing that with NSX, but then we also have the vCenter piece where, you know, you're doing all your day-to-day -day management. Um, on top of that, we have, you know, PowerShell I integration. So now you can use existing scripts to sort of manage. So if you're doing things with content library or you're doing things with um, maybe just daily tasks, daily checklist, daily cleanup, whatever you're doing with your scripts, you know, you can sort of tune these to work with VMware Cloud and AWS as well. And so, Again, we kind of step back to that, you know, it's, it's vSphere. So now we can utilize the same tools uh, within that process or within your daily process. So it's, it's not really this massive jump into some new fancy console that you don't quite understand because it's so big, but it, it kind of brings things home and kind of gives you that home, hometown feeling, if you will, that, oh, okay, I'm used to this. I know what I'm doing here. Interesting. Yeah. I tell you, so one of the, just as a, sort of shameless plug. I'm going to plug our customer here because we know that our friends at Playtica, which is a gaming company, um, were, had a ton of VMware experience and they were able to move 650 workloads or 650 kind of virtual environments. Uh, and I think less than, I think it was either five or nine days. Mm -hmm. And because mm -hmm. of all of the stuff you've mentioned, you know, one of the reasons from, from my experience that, uh, that I've um, seen is that oftentimes hybrid is driven by you, you run out of data center space or you don't want to take any more, you don't want to take any more leases. 
um, and uh, sort of shameless plug about this is I, my understanding is that they were able to do it in five to nine days with, um, with uh, really uninterrupted just because of the magic of V-Motion. And so I think that kind of underscores the things that you're talking about. Um, and uh, for the folks who are listening, if you do want to find out more about these, definitely check out cloud.vmware.com because you'll see um, other, other examples and this is where you can get more information and uh, as it relates to, to the stuff we're talking about today. I love what you said um, there, by the way, the, the magic of vMotion. And I think people take vMotion for granted. And I just wanna, I just wanna take this aside just for a second because I've been a vSphere admin for a long, long, long time. And you kind of just get used to the fact that VMs migrate back and forth between your hosts within a cluster. And you know, it's, it, just, it just happens, right? And the first time I saw vMotion back maybe 2005, somewhere around there, it was brand new. And uh, you see this VM migrate from one host to another host. And you're like, wow, that's magic. Um, think about that for a minute though. We're migrating VMs from your data center somewhere on planet earth to another data center, you know, quote unquote in the cloud somewhere else on planet earth. And it's no longer just in your data center, but you're moving these workloads from, from one location to another, you know, far, far away. Um, with no outage, I, with no outage, right? And I think that's people kind of take that for granted a little bit. They don't, they don't quite realize what's happening behind the scenes. And 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 speaking of tools, you know, so we have VMware HCX, and HCX really helps drive that point home. So today, absolutely, without HCX, you could vMotion a VM from on-premises to the cloud, no big deal. The only, you know, there's a couple of caveats, limitations, right? As with anything in technology, um, you have to have a direct connect and, and some other things, but in general, you can be motion of VM, but with HCX, and I think what makes, you know, play to kind of stand out where, you know, over 650 workloads and, you know, somewhere between five and nine days, um, with HCX, you can replicate all that data ahead of time. You can seed that data ahead of time. And then it makes the, the vMotion or the, the switchover, if it does require downtime for whatever reason, that much faster. And so this yeah. is where you can migrate not just one VM at a time, but hundreds of VMs at a time, thousands of VMs at a time and get right. them in the cloud, right? So, I mean, I think that's just, it's, it's just huge. And I love what you said there, the magic of vMotion. That's my favorite. Exactly. And I think that's the answer to the question, like, how, how do I migrate? And I think you, Jeremiah, you just described it all. Essentially, using HCX and, you know, um, with or without the, the uh, help from our customer support, our, our customer success group, really HCX is the sort of larger program that helps us achieve the magic. Um, so, how do I manage interconnectivity between these two environments? I think there's a sort of lot of options there. Um, you know, what's the, what is the sort of underlying uh, kind of technical uh, underpinnings of the interconnect between uh, an on-prem and a cloud environment in this case? Yeah, so there's a couple of different things that happen here. The first one, it could be, and I think what a lot of our customers are doing is just uh, a VPN connection or a site-to-site -site VPN connection over the public internet. Um, and it just depends on, you know, how much bandwidth you have, 
uh, out to the internet. But essentially what you're going to be doing is, you know, you, you have access to the internet from your data center and you just create a site to site VPN between the two. Um, in this case, we have a few options. We have a route based and a policy based and, uh, and then a layer two extension. I won't bore you with the details of routing and BGP and all of that stuff. But um, the idea here is that, you know, you create a secure tunnel, you know, from one point to another point um, over the public internet. And now, you have basic connectivity to sort of extend your data center, which will, which is extending your data center from on-premises to the cloud. And then that, that layer two um, option in there is where you can extend your networks so that when you do vMotion to VM, uh, your networks also live out in, in your cloud, in your SDDC instance. And then that, that basically allows you to, to view most of those VMs without dropping packets. Um, the other option is to use AWS Direct Connect. And this is, you know, more of that high speed, low latency, you know, terminate it um, in the data center kind of thing. And, and this really gives you that LAN-like capability um, so that you can, that you can really do a, a live vMotion. And so that's one of the requirements of a live vMotion is that direct connect, but to be able to, to have that high bandwidth, low latency, super fast connection, you know, bridging the gap, you know, between your on-premises environment and the cloud. Got it. Um, so let's talk about scaling because one of the things that we talk about is bursting. It's one of the kind of things that you talked about up front. Um, how, how do I handle automatic scaling or bursting uh, both up and down, um, you know, in response to basic workload changes? Is, do, is there a lot of setup required to sort of figure that out? Do I have to do that manually? Tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So there's, uh, a couple of things there. So the first part is, you know, to kind of note that we handle the infrastructure piece of the scaling out. So if you, if you wanted to scale out your workloads, let's say you had a, um, a massive web farm and you get a ton of um, hits, let's say it's, you know, Black Friday and, or coming up to Black Friday and you have a big Black Friday sale going on and, you know, you're giving away, you know, tons of free TVs, right? And you, but you have to go to the website to register. Well, when you do that, you know, you have to sort of have some logic built in. So you have to be able to scale your, your applications appropriately and scale your, your web workload and burst that appropriately. And that could be done, you know, through a variety of methods, but that part is sort of owned by the customer. And what we do is we help scale the backend infrastructure. So we want to make sure that while you're trying to scale, that we are also scaling that. So you're not seeing any contention, anything that's going to cause your workloads to perform poorly, um, you know, or not have enough storage, you know, all of that stuff. And so what, the way we do this is with um, elastic DRS. And so everybody should be familiar with traditional DRS. And this is where we kind of manage the resources and we schedule them appropriately um, across the hosts. And then if, you know, if a host is getting tight on CPU or RAM, you know, we will start to move those workloads around to make sure that they're not starving for resources. And so with elastic DRS, we're looking at the cluster and out of the box, um, we are set up for storage only. And what that means is that we're looking at the underlying storage. And once you hit a certain threshold, we will then add a host automatically uh, to that threshold. And we'll send you an email and say, hey, by the way, we added, a, we added a host. And you have the option at that point to go in, clean it up. Like, let's say it was an accident. Maybe you cloned a bunch of stuff or copied a bunch of stuff and you don't need that extra host from a storage perspective. You can go and clean it up, scale it down, no big deal. 
um, there's other options that will help you from a performance or cost standpoint as well. And these options actually look at the everything. They look at compute, memory, and storage. And so you have two additional options beyond the storage. And one is a performance-based algorithm and one is a cost-based algorithm. And the way we look at that is we say, okay, if any of these resources, be it CPU, memory, or storage, meets the threshold or goes over the threshold, we're automatically going to scale up. We're going to add a host and then we're going to sleep and we're going to wait for VMs to move around. We're going to wait for that cluster to kind of cool down a little bit and then we'll start checking it again. And if it needs to scale up again, we can scale up again, but generally you wouldn't need to unless you're doing something sort of crazy, migrating a bunch of VMs or, or something like that. And then what happens is if, you know, let's say you have a bunch of VMs and they're going nuts and it's that, it's that Black Friday sale and, you know, everything is going through the roof and then it all quiets down. Well, we notice that quiet down. And as soon as all of those components fall below the threshold of contention or the threshold that we've, we've marked, then we will remove a host and we'll auto balance and auto scale and move the data around and make sure that everything's kosher and then, and then pull that host back. And so that's kind of how we handle elastic DRS in that um, we can automatically scale that out. Now we do have customers that'll use from a, like a disaster recovery perspective where maybe they're only running a handful of hosts to be able to replicate data out there and they're running it small on purpose because they want to save some money. They don't want to have all these hosts sitting idle out there. Well, what they can do is part of their recovery plan when they attempt to fail over is they can write a PowerShell script that goes out and says, hey, um, go ahead and add X number of hosts to my cluster for me. So it'll add a bunch of hosts. So we're sort of forcing the hand, right? We're, we're saying, hey, Elastic DRS, you're, you're going to see some contention, but let's not worry about that right now. Let's go ahead and just add these hosts now so we don't see any contention um, and then scale out and then we'll start failing over our workloads. And so you can kind of preemptively do this, um, but traditionally, um, I mean, that's kind of a specific use case, but traditionally um, we're, EDRS is always watching and listening and it will scale up and scale down automatically on your behalf. And then they'll send you email, like I said, if, if there's a if there's a something you didn't anticipate, certainly you can go in from an operations perspective, you know, solve whatever that issue was, and then it will scale itself back down. Got it. Um, interesting. So definitely a lot of flexibility. Um, let's talk about. Uh, policies and kind of workload, um, you know, management. Because I know that vSphere has this distributed resource schedule. Um, are there any compute policies that allow customers to specify how the, in this instance, in a hybrid instance, vSphere distributed resource schedule should place VMs on a host? And, you know, how, what are the kind of use, when, when do people use this? So. Um, you know, tell us more about distributed resource scheduling, et cetera. Yep. So it, it would be very similar to what's on-prem. Um, on-premises today, you have DRS rules. And so you can go in and create a rule and you can say, hey, um, <clears throat> let's, let's keep these virtual machines together. So maybe I have an application and a database uh, server, two different VMs. And I noticed that when they're separated from each other on different ESX hosts, um, they perform poorly. And so I can tie them together, right? I can say these VMs need to live together on the same host all the time. Uh, in contrast to that, I can say for redundancy purposes, maybe I have 
you know, a handful of web front end servers and I don't want them to live on the same host because what happens if that host has a problem? Let's say, you know, a dim dies or a fan or a power supply or something that host goes down. I don't want to lose all of the web server front ends, right? So I want to separate them. I want them to be redundant. So maybe they're tied up to a load balancer and that's, that's great, but I don't want them all to fail. So then I can say, you know, purposely, let's keep these virtual machines apart. Um, and then I can also do things for licensing purposes, right? I can say, hey, I want uh, all of these SQL servers uh, or Oracle servers or whatever to live on the same set of hosts. So let's say I have an eight host cluster um, and I want to license the cores of the first two hosts. Well, I can... I don't have to license all the cores in my cluster, but I want to license just the cores in the first two hosts. I want to save on some licensing costs, but I also want to be compliant with my licenses. So I can't have those virtual machines moving off of those first two hosts because then I'm non-compliant from a licensing standpoint. So what I'll do is I'll create a, a DRS group and I'll put those two hosts in the group and then I'll say, hey, you know, these VMs have to live in this group and they can't go, they can't migrate out of that group. Um, this, this, this is all something that you can do on-premises today and you do it through DRS rules. Well, in VMware Cloud and AWS, it's the concept is the, still the same, except for we are now driving it through compute policy instead of a DRS rule. And so um, when you go and you build a compute policy, it's the same principle. It's sort of the same interface as you navigate through it. It's, it's very familiar. Um, just some of the terminology might be a little bit different, but uh, in general, you can do the exact same thing. So we can, we can build those, um, af, you know, VM to VM affinity and anti-affinity where we are saying, hey, VMs should live together or stay separated from each other. Or you can build VM to host affinity and anti-affinity where we're saying VMs must sort of, you know, remain stuck mm -hmm. on these hosts or VMs are not, certain VMs are not allowed to be on these hosts. Um, so you can kind of manage all of those policies. And then to take that a step further, you can create storage policies. And so, um, you know, you can say, hey, you know, these VMs must have, you know, um, you know, this many copies of its data, right? And think of it from a RAID perspective, you know, RAID 10, RAID 5, RAID 6, whatever. You can, if, so if you have enough hosts in your SDC, you can say, hey, I want to make sure this, this VM is important. So I need to make sure that it has an extra copy of the data living on another host. And so you can use all the compute policies for a resource scheduling perspective. You can use all the storage policies from a storage perspective and really make sure that you're maintaining uptime, um, you're staying compliant with licensing, you're maintaining your SLAs for your data, all of that stuff, and it's all driven by by the compute and storage policies. Fascinating. So that's actually a really good point. I think that that VMware has a policy-based point to making sure that um, you can manage where things run, which which becomes increasingly important in the context of, say, things like Microsoft SQL and Windows Server. Um, I will, I will point out that that's a topic that, we're, that we'll likely cover in a future episode um, because there's uh, all sorts of new details popping up on that all the time. Um, stretch clusters. I'm not, can, tell, me, tell me a little bit more about stretch clusters because I kind of get it. Uh, I know, is this kind of the same as metro clusters or what's the, give me, help me uh, determine what this, what's going on there. Yeah, so this sort of also falls into the realm of, you know, your data center extension and, you know, flexibility, scalability of the cloud, but 
I want to do it with a mission critical app. And so if you think in terms of on-premises, I have a mission critical app. It is tier zero, which means, you know, my business loses money significantly or something is significantly damaged if this application or these sets of applications go down. So they cannot go down. And traditionally, when you have that sort of application in your business, and, and to be clear, um, in a previous life, I was a consultant and everybody thinks all of their apps are tier zero. And I want to be very clear and say that they're not, <laughs> but there are very specific use cases, you know, think about like 911 call systems and hospital environments and, and things that, you know, and, and that just really can impact, you know, whether it's lives or significant cost to the company. Um, so the business determines that, hey, this is a tier zero app, this is mission critical. We need to maintain an SLA for this. Um, this is where you would have on-premises maybe a metro cluster, right? So you've got clusters, you know, two sets of ESX clusters set up in different geographical areas, um, maybe with VPlex or something similar, um, or maybe you're using a vSAN stretch cluster in that instance. Well, the stretch cluster in VMC is just that. It is a vSAN stretch cluster. And so what we're doing is we are protecting against an availability zone failure. And we've seen these kind of headlines in the news where, you know, people talk about going to cloud, but then they're nervous because they see an outage that happens in the cloud. And, you know, company X lost X amount of data because of this outage in this area. And traditionally what this is from is because it wasn't architected properly to protect against that sort of failure. And so the, the way it's set up from an AWS perspective is you have what's called availability zones and you have multiple availability zones in a region. So for example, um, if you have a cluster sitting out in Northern Oregon uh, or Northern California, you know, some, somewhere on the West Coast, generally those, those areas or those regions will have multiple availability zones. As long as that region has at least three availability zones and, think, and those, think of those availability zones as separate data centers within the region. So you have Northern California, you have three availability zones, that's three different data centers within Northern California. What happens is we will stretch that cluster. So we'll put half your cluster in availability zone one, we'll put half your cluster in availability zone two, and then we'll put a witness for quorum purposes out in availability zone three. Then what happens is when you're, you know, using your environment, it looks the same, right? You see your vCenter, you see all of your hosts in a single cluster, nothing really looks out of the ordinary, but if you start digging in a little bit, you can actually see um, when you look at the host, what availability zone it's in, and you can dig down into the vSAN configuration and see where your availability zones are, and those are set up in fault domains. And so when you put a VM out there, it synchronously writes across both availability zones. Should one availability zone fail, the quorum recognizes this, right? The witness node, the vSAN witness node recognizes this. And it's basically an HA restart. So if whatever's in, if zone one fails, whatever VMs are there, they're just going to get rebooted onto zone two. And just like it would on premises, if a host fails, it's going to get rebooted onto the next host, uh, next functional host. And so that's how we kind of protect against mission critical applications in a stretch cluster from failing is that, sure, there's an outage, there's some kind of failure, um, but you're back up and running in the time it takes for an HA restart plus however long it takes for that application to start, you know, whether your application takes two minutes or 20 minutes, right? Once it comes up, it's up. You're not, you know, sort of like running around, you know, with your hair on fire, trying to figure out, do I have to restore from backup? How do I fix this? Having taking an extended outage. And so this is one of the situations where customers can take advantage of this for 
their critical applications and know that they're getting that four nines of uptime and you know, that they're protected. Interesting. Now, one of the interesting things that's always is, are there some guidelines? So you've got a vSAN stretch cluster. And so it sounds like in general, it'll work from, uh, you know, inside the availability zones. Um, is it possible to do a cross hybrid public stretch cluster or are there some kind of um, latency limits? And I know that's a little bit of a nerdy question and maybe I'm asking it in a way that doesn't make sense, but I mean, tell me your, tell me your thoughts on that for using stretch cluster. Well, I think what you're asking is if you can have a stretch cluster between on-premises and the cloud or another yeah. cloud region and your, your VMC instance, is that, is that what you're asking? Yeah, so I'm more interested in could, could you have something that bridges hybrid, that bridges sort of on-prem and, and public? Sure. Yeah. So, so today, no. Um, and specifically, um, sort of as you pointed out in the question was, you know, due to latency, right? So you need Got to it. make sure that the latency is extremely low, um, you know, and we just can't guarantee, you know, AWS can't guarantee from the customer data center, you know, even if they're using direct connect, sometimes, you know, they have limits in place and they've got some wiggle room, but they need to be able to guarantee that latency and that bandwidth uh, between you know, the stretch clusters between the nodes and the stretch cluster. And so if you think about it, if you, let's just say you, you, you build a brand new virtual machine and then let's say you're building a database server and then you start importing, you know, terabytes worth of data or even gigabytes worth of data into that, that database server. If we're doing synchronous writes across a wire, think about how much bandwidth that's going to generate. Think about, you right. know, we have to write it. We have to get the act back from the, uh, from the other side. And so, <clears throat> you know, it becomes a, a very, a very big challenge, even with customers that are doing on-prem to on-prem, right? You can only have so much distance between your locations, you know, and have to have a significant amount of, of low latency, you know, high-speed bandwidth to make that happen. So, yeah, today it's just uh, inter, in, inside a single region between availability zones. Who knows what the future holds? We have so many things coming out with technology. You'd be, we'd be surprised uh, to see what's, what's coming next. Sure. And thanks for clearing that. Thanks for clearing that up because that's, uh, you know, a question I know that uh, comes up and it also gives us a little bit more uh, information about stretch clusters. Certainly. So um, as we sort of wrap it up, uh, you did uh, kind of mention and on the screen, uh, you said we have a new, uh, we have a new region in Stockholm, I think. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So we, um, in, in the Europe region, uh, specifically Stockholm, that's the, the new region that's available for customers to start, uh, you know, absorbing and utilizing the VMware Cloud and AWS service. And so um, just looking at the, the map on the screen, you can see, I mean, we started the very first one we started with US West Oregon and just the one region uh, expanded to U.S. East. And then from there, we've just sort of rolled out and uh, continuing to roll out every, uh, you know, every, every quarter, you know, every year we're, we're trying to do our best to stay and, and expand within all the different regions. Uh, so Stockholm is definitely our newest one. And note um, that you can't have a stretch cluster in every single region. So there's certain 
regions yeah. today, like Canada Central, um, where they only have two availability zones and uh, you need three. So just uh, a quick tip for anybody out there, if you're trying to, um, if you're going to be in a certain region and you want to stretch cluster, just make sure they have three availability zones and you're good to go. If they don't have three, then consider uh, moving to a different region if, if uh, stretch cluster is a requirement for your architecture. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that um, you don't have complete sort of mirroring across all regions. And in fact, many of the services don't exist in every single zone, uh, workspaces, for example. Um, so I think that's actually a, a really important point. Um, let's see. I think um, I'm going to put up on the screen the some final resources and there we go so um you can see the and the slides will be available uh online and we'll mention them in the show notes um but you can see a list of resources including data center extension basics uh as well as you know you can always tweet on us tweet at us um, Sonali and the team are always diligently watching that Twitter handle for interesting questions. Um, any other resources or anything else that, that is useful and worth mentioning here, Jeremiah? Yeah, so I know, I know we have these bit.ly links and sometimes they're hard to like remember or type in uh, and we're working on creating some easy to read, easy to remember short URLs. Uh, for these types of things. Uh, in the meantime, if you can't get your hands on the slides or you're just listening in the car and you wanna you know, make a mental note of how to get these things, if you go to um, cloud.vmware.com forward slash community and select pretty much any one of the VMware Cloud and AWS blog posts, uh, a lot of these links are at the bottom of each of the blog posts. So you should be able to get those there. Um, as always, uh, check out the release notes. Uh, we're constantly releasing updates to new features. Um, you know, just for January, I mean, we're what, into the fourth week of the year, January 27th here. And uh, we are already three updates in this year. So January 10th, we uh, opened up the Stockholm region. January 13th, we offered a new feature for um, our one and three year payment options. So um, you may or may not know that if you do your one or three year terms, you can uh, get a substantial discount uh, and those are paid up front. But now we offer an option to um, pay those in monthly installments. So that kind of eases the pain of writing a, a big fat check. <laughs> uh, and, then, uh, and then we have our, our latest 1.9 release that happened on January 16th. And this has a, ver a variety of things from security updates to um, a cool uh, visa replication import export tool, um, some fixes with the cloud gateway, some new storage enhancements, and a ton of NSX T networking enhancements. In fact, we went from in 1.8 we were using NSXT 2.3 and we are now at NSXT 2.5 uh, as of 1.9. Um, so definitely keep tabs on the release notes because uh, we're, we're constantly updating and, and we're blasting it out on Twitter as that happens as well. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, this has been a, another episode of uh, VMC or VMware Cloud Unplugged. My name is Bill Roth, Director of Cloud Economics. With me has been uh, Jeremiah McGee, the uh, a my uh, 
colleague who is a longstanding technical uh, marketing, technical specialist uh, with VMware. Um, this program has been produced and uh, engineered by Sonali Desai, and uh, our executive producer is Mr. Ivan Oprenchuk. So for Jeremiah and the team, this is Bill Roth uh, saying thanks for listening. Bill, it's always a pleasure. It is indeed. Indeed.